Well, we're putting a uh, putting a pin in Shocktober 11, Shock from the Book of Shocks today, uh, with our, our final entry in this year's uh, horror marathon. So We sure are. We are sticking it again, with pins. It's not Hellraiser, though. No, we did Hellraiser in our first Shocktober. We shan't be doing it again. Mm. Yes. Although a new Hellraiser did just drop on the Hulu. There's like 12 Hellraiser movies. There are so many Hellraisers. There so, are there more Hellraisers than there are Friday movies at this point? Yes. Good Lord. I'm saying that without checking, but yes. Is that what your math is? Your heart is telling my, my, you? My heart, yeah, I'm following my heart. Not His heart my says yes. Producer my. Arthur is on the case, as per usual. <laughs> we'll find out momentarily. Here. I'll tell you what. Uh, talk about scary. We, we're really going out on maybe one of the most frightening things in the world This to movie's me. real scary. Parenthood. Yeah. Yeah. Pa- yeah, because children are monsters. I can't get a vasectomy fast enough. I got I to gotta quit <laughs> kicking this can down the road. I got to get this shit snipped. <laughs> All right. No thanks. Yeah. I'm out. I'll tell you this. Yeah, they're all like that. That I right? They have but, but, to be, but they're not all always like that. But they are all like it. At, there's all there, you will always have a day like that. I, I with, got enough days like that with myself. Yeah. I don't need. An, I don't need another person doing it. Yeah, that's you know totally I mean? fair. No thanks. Yeah, they 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 are awful, terrible, heinous monsters. Uh, Friday Friday wins by one entry. Wow, it's, by uh, the twelve remake. to eleven. Yeah. Wow. Wins by a remake. Huh. Yep. Well, there you go. There um, yeah, kids, monsters. Yeah, that's the that's the show. Is that see what, you next that's week. That's what the Babadook's about. <laughs> it's about we'll monsters. See you next week. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to the Good Trash Honorcast. We gather around table. We discuss films you'll never discuss in film space. Of course, this week we're start, We're talking about Jennifer Kent's The Babadook duck, as we duck, end October eleven. The Book of Shocks. Shocked from the Book of Shocks. I got to make sure I get it right. You do. Uh, Your job is on the line. From the my, really, <laughs> I can get fired. Nope. <laughs> Challenge yeah. accepted. Try as I might, Dalton won't let me. So nope. um, we're going to talk about this amazing musical comedy, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the the Baba Duck. I mean, if, if, if screamo is a type of music, then this would have those moments. So um, I'm still Arthur. I'm still Dustin. I'm still Dalton. <laughs> I'm trying to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> Try as much as you want. I Yeah, I won't let you go. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about this movie in terms of spoilers, though, dear listener. We do at need some to point. warn you. At some point. But not at the first point. At the later point. Um, at the first point, we'll have synopsis, which will be, of course, spoiler free. We'll then do thumbs up, thumbs up, uh, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, reactions to whether or not we like this movie. From How Jennifer much Kent. spoilers will be in there? Uh, be gentle. We'll be gentler like you would see on a review on a New York Times. We or... might tell you the name of a character, for instance. For instance, we might mention that Maybe. there's a Babadook um, and that it's some, it's, kind, it's some kind of monster that is... Uh, sort of queer icon menacing this family. <laughs> <laughs> that occasionally breaks out into song and dance, just terrify his... Um... Hello, my baby. Hello, <laughs> my darling. Hello, my ragtime gal. Don't you want it now. I do, yeah. <laughs> Real bad. He's got those big hands. Can you imagine him doing jazz fingers? So we He's was built spoil- for it. Yeah, baby. So we would spoil things like the Babadook has big hands, but we won't spoil anything that's related to plot. What then, happens in the Babadook. Exactly. Then we move on to a little game we like to call Expand the Syllabus, in which we might spoil that the Babadook looks like this movie, or it looks like that movie, or it has plot points related to this other movie. So it'll be gently moving our way into spoiler territory, but we're not really getting into the big sort of plot material. That happens once we get down to business. There's music to let you know we've gotten down to business, and that's when all spoiler bets are off. Until they take us off of Spotify for it. 
That's right. Correctamundo. So we, well, we uploaded close to 500 episodes using that musical cue. So I think we're in the clear. Yeah, but we'll see. We've lost a few episodes, but it wasn't for that. So <laughs> oh, did we? Yeah, we lost like eight to ten for other musical cues. Yeah, uh, yeah, back when we used to the have heavy, lots of drops. Yeah, well, when we used outros that were full songs mm. or mostly oh, yeah. full songs. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, back in the day, and it's mostly the big, big music companies, Warner Brothers and Sony, mm. and. We lost like an Eminem track, a Frank Sinatra track. Which is all the more reason you should follow us on Apple and on Spotify, if you can. There Correct. You or your podcatcher of choice. Yeah, that's or Stitcher not related Radio. to any major corporation. Yeah, that's true. I guess there, you can just get a podcatcher that's just an RSS feed catcher. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And you can find the pod bean and go from there. There you go. So Point uh, is, all the, you just, it's like little Easter eggs for you. That's right. <laughs> Hidden well, episodes. I don't know what we're doing anymore. All kinds of fun to be had. Hey, Arthur. Hey, do you have Dustin. a synopsis, pal? <laughs> I thought you were Arthur. <laughs> Wait, hey, Dustin, do you have a synopsis for us? <laughs> sure, I do, pal. Thanks, buddy. Wow, it's hard being no sold. Um, <laughs> Amelia is a single mother struggling to raise her son Sam. Both have dealt with the grief of her lost husband for Sam's entire life. With both of them at their end of their ropes, emotionally and mentally, a bizarre pop-up book arrives on Sam's bookshelf. A story of an eccentric specter known simply as the Baba Duck. 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 Phone home. <laughs> He's sort of like E.T. Isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. You know, sort of E.T. is a, is a way in which a divorce is sort of, you know, dealt with. This movie, you know, a eating... missing father is kind of the uh, yeah. inciting incident for E.T. And this is the. A deceased father. Well, yeah, this is the, the the much much worse version of UT. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, not worse. Would the Babadook eat Reese's pieces? Is the question we will pause that at the end of this episode. If the kid had just eaten Reese's pieces, yes, he would eat the kid with the Reese's pieces in them. He should have just ate the kid. That kid needs Short, eating. <laughs> shorter movie. Shorter movie. It's not that kid's fault. Um, no, it isn't the kid's fault. It's not that like kid's that. fault. Uh, okay, Dalton needs to eat something. Dalton, do you like this movie? I do like this movie. <laughs> tell me why. Uh, well, last week you talked about how. Don't tell him why. It's more interesting if you don't. I guess I could. I could just withhold. <laughs> well, I'm Arthur, so I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> I don't like this whole you guys pretending to switch names thing. It's going to confuse me. This is a bit that I can't keep up with. I already. I, I didn't even realize you did it the first time you did it. I, like literal seconds later, did I realize you guys had done it? I'm a fool. <laughs> Let me consult my doctoral thesis work here. <laughs> Yeah, I can't wait for you to talk about it. Hold on, I'm, I'm, I'm Googling a response. Yeah. I'll be right back. <laughs> don't, don't worry. Our, I our, wish I was younger so I understood computers. <laughs> I wish I was older so I knew things. <laughs> you know, you two work together, so I expect you to get all this out of your systems during the week. You so when we so? come here for a real business, we'll be prepared. That's <laughs> funny. Uh, uh, <laughs> From the oh, Book of Shocks. I, he's fisting me. I, <laughs> I am not, not on air. Good Lord. <laughs> last Dalton, week, what did you think about the Babadook? Well, last week, Dustin said that uh, 28 Days Later is like the scariest movie to him. Uh, this is one of the scariest movies to me. Uh, yeah. I saw this... Uh, when it was doing its, you know, it's this didn't have like a huge theatrical run. Uh, you know, it, it didn't. It, it really managed to become like an international breakout, despite not getting much uh, love in in uh, Australia when it first came out, 
and only mostly playing at art theaters here in the States. Uh, I saw this in theaters twice, once at a nonprofit theater in Tulsa and then at the Oklahoma City Art Museum. So those, those were the two places I was able to see it to kind of give you some frame of was reference. Was that in reruns or was that an original run? Original run. Oh, cool. uh, well, the, the, the one in Tulsa was original run. Okay. And I think the one in uh, at the Arts uh, Museum was like a couple. It was like that next uh, winter. It was okay. like... So the movie came out in fall of like, what, 14? So it's probably like the winter of 15 is when I saw okay. this uh, the second time. I just think this movie this movie scares the shit out of me. Uh, it is just really effective filmmaking. And, you know, maybe it's there's a parent yelling at it, their child a lot. And that's just stressful for anybody that's been a child, uh, which is to say all of us. Uh, adults yelling is never cool when you're a small child. It's always stressful. And uh, this movie will just put you right back there right away. Uh, and also it's got, you know, a, a big creepy guy with a hat and scary hands. It's, it, look, it's a spooky movie. I don't know what you want from me. It works really well. <laughs> the, the, the inside of this house is production designed within an inch of its life. Looking at ex- German expressionist as hell up in there. Come on. That's just cool. Speaking of German expressionism, you got that Babadook looking like he crawled out of Dr. Caligari's cabinet. Look at his freaking look at his freaking face. That is not the part of Dr. Caligari I expect you to say he crawled out of. Yeah, no, he crawled out of the cabinet, but you don't want to know where he was before that. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, this movie just rules. I love the opening dream sequence. It's so evocative, so mm-hmm. effective. Uh, and bo- there's a couple of dream sequences of, of uh, Essie Davis, um, Amelia, like hitting her bed, like mm-hmm. coming out of dream states. Really cool filmmaking. Um, I'm just excited to talk about a Jennifer Kent movie on this show that's not The Nightingale. Uh, yeah. God damn, no one ever want to watch that movie again. Nope. If you want to hear us try to talk about a horrifically hard to watch movie for an hour, go listen to us talk about The Nightingale, a movie we'll probably never watch ever again. This movie can't. I love revisiting this movie. This movie's a joy to rewatch. It's scary for different reasons and in much more easy to digest ways. Uh, and yet there is like a ton of meat on the bone here. A lot of big E on the eye chart stuff. A lot of the analysis of this movie is kind of obvious and, and on the nose. And a lot of you know movies where the horror, the central horror element, is also like a, a big metaphor. Like yeah, a lot of movies like that, you, you know, are kind of obvious. But I think uh, that obviousness uh, belies uh, you know more underneath the surface. I, th- I think, despite the obvious readings, I, I think that there is a lot of. Uh, useful stuff to talk about here mm-hmm. and again it's just effective horror filmmaking so uh, that's that's what i'm always looking for in a horror movie is do you scare me and do you have something going on other than scaring me and uh this checks both of those boxes it's what i'm looking for and uh i just think it's super effective very good very good thank you very much for that arthur what do you think dustin i think uh it's an effective <laughs> film I, I think dalton's right i think that uh this movie is uh, for me, uh, much more effective uh, in, in creating spoopy moments than something like Twenty Eight Days Later, and that's mostly just a, a genre thing—ghosts and and demons and supernatural stuff like that. Usually, is more effective for me. But I think that Same. the way I think Dalton, you tapped into what it is. I think it is the way in which mom yelling at son, son yelling at mom, does become so nerve rattling and unnerving that by the time it's can get spoopy it's much more effective because you're already off kiltered yeah so now we can really raise the stakes in a way that's effective and do things that are very effective i think the first hour of this movie is solid and i think it's really paving the way for 
the movie to go to the next plane mm-hmm. in the second hour because when things begin to go off the rails, the the movie just does so in such an effective way. Uh, the 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 moment where she is watching the newscast and cuts to a shot of herself is so so uh, nerve wracking. It, it's just under your skin, uh, and that's it's just between loud and quiet so effectively, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's some real jarring editing that begins to take place as as you know maybe the psyche is fracturing. Mm-hmm. You know, there are those sorts of editing and cinematography tricks that are helping again to underscore something I think we talked about to great effect with the uh, boils 28 days later where the camera was vital to uh, the mood and the effect of, of what we're seeing on screen I think uh, Kent gets to do some of that here as well and, and Kent's just a great filmmaker mm. uh, she is just she knows what she's doing and she navigates it so well whether it is this or something that is much more harrowing in uh, the Nightingale. Uh, both of these movies are super effective for for different reasons, uh, and really, a director that knows how to play with the budget and make the most of very little. Um, but the the house uh, here, this set is great. These really dark grays and blacks. It's you know not a warm welcome home at all. Mm-mm. It's very that living room and, especially. Yeah, unsettling yeah. just in its very design. And I think that's really helpful. I think uh, just in the makeup and costuming, uh, Amelia looks like a mid-30s mom Tired. that you would see on the street. Single working yeah. mom, yeah. You know, this isn't uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, you <clears throat> yeah. know, rearing a kid. You know, there's there's something in the way that she looks like I could walk outside and see this lady in my neighborhood. Essie yeah. Davis feels very real. Yeah. yeah, and I think that helps so much grounding this in the reality so that when it does become supernatural, uh, it's that much more effective. And I think that weird kind of juxtaposition of reality with the very German expressionist Babadook mm-hmm. is such a unique juxtaposition that is so effective. I, I think it's so cool. Um, the the kid is equal parts uh, endearing, but also super annoying. I, I mean, he needs to be. He's perfect. Yeah. Like an all-time great movie, kid. Yeah, but I mean, him screaming at her, her screaming at him, those moments feel so lived in and real. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I've seen friends kind of deal with similar situations where, where they're just on edge and on nerve, and they're just trying to survive that. And it, it feels earnest, real life in that way. Uh, and, and so we see her get to interact with other people who aren't, you know, we see her interact with other parents. We see her interact with just people who she's trying to get them to believe that she needs help. And, you know, people don't understand her situation. And I, I think Amelia's a great character and really fascinating. I think the Babadook is effective. I, I think the way uh, in which that character is introduced, the storybook is so unsettling. It's so good. Uh, it's so perfect. I should have written down that the, the pop-up book gets a designer credit. I think there's two designers credited, gotcha. actually. I, I meant to write down so we could shout out who made yeah. it. But yeah, it's so perfect. It's cool. Uh, that, that whole idea is cool. And this really kind of feels, I, I wish in hindsight, you know, there would have been way... Uh, to maybe swap this in 28 days later, because this really does feel like a synthesis of ideas from Nightmare and Candyman mm. in some really interesting mm-hmm. ways, yeah. I think. Uh, and, and the way 
stories impact us, the way we deal with stories and use stories as outlets or, or how they channel things from us, maybe in the subconscious and, um, you know, the, the, the Babadook and Freddie feel like they share some DNA, but he also feels like he shares DNA with the Candyman mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And, and I thought a lot about Candyman, uh, when watching this. And so I think there's something really interesting there that, you know, kind of an unintentional through line, uh, in, in the series that we've done this month is, is interesting. And I, I mean, it's a good movie. It, yeah. It's effective and spoopy and eerie and unsettling and unnerving, uh, and it's what you want in a in a horror movie. Yeah. And I think uh, Ken's just so good at, at what she does. So, yeah, I, I dig it quite a bit, Dustin. Very good, very good. Um, I also liked it quite a bit, fellas. Um, which surprises probably no one. That uh, You'd seen this before? I had, yeah. Okay, I figured so. And uh, I, I think that the strength of the movie, as you guys were saying, is its refusal to overly romanticize either um, Amelia or um, Samuel. Samuel. I was like, I was trying to figure out that character's name. Samuel. And uh, because both of them are... Samuel's not a bad kid. He's been through a, a bunch of terrible, terrible stuff and is lashing out and becoming somewhat problematic, but he's not a bad kid. And Amelia's not a bad mom, but she's also at her wit's end. And that there's a way in which it's able to give you that little bit of sympathy and yet also see their bad reactions to one another and um, does that in sort of an objective kind of way that you say, well, yeah, I still like Samuel. I still like Amelia, but that was awful and you shouldn't have done that. And uh, the, that's a tough needle to thread. Because yeah. Oftentimes yeah. we, we try in, in cinema to either, you know, one dimensionally sort of make villains, villains and, and white hats, white hats. And this movie refuses to play that game. And I, I think that's a lot of where it works. I do think it's a little shallow in dealing with the uh, the aunt, um, and I forget her name, Claire, Aunt Claire. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Aunt Claire does seem to be just one-dimensionally un- a woman with a lack of understanding. And again, I, I do think that she's probably at her yeah. wit's end as well and kind of fed up. But it, it, just, it seems as though... We don't get really a, a lot with that relationship yeah. outside of a couple of scenes that further plot. I, I agree with that, though. I, but see, I feel like she's a little thin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? She's just kind of there to create more conflict where it, conflict it, needs to be. And be be sort of a voice of judgment yeah. in a way that is you know really off-putting. And again, yeah. that's not inaccurate to the way outsiders look in. And I, and I think that's sort of the purpose of the one-dimensionality is the way in which you you always hear this kind of thing, right? Kids acting up in Walmart and, you know, that was my kid. I'd take care of, you know. Yeah. It's like, you don't know. It's easy to armchair parent. Yeah, you know, absolutely, yeah. To sit here and be like, oh, I wouldn't do, you know, I, I don't have kids, but, to, you know, I've interacted with enough kids and I've seen other parents and, you know, it, it, it is that moment of, I, I don't want, I wouldn't let my kid act like this. He mm-hmm. never, you know, whatever. Right. And there's that way of, it's easy to armchair anything. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and so I do feel like she's a stand-in for that kind of behavior. Yeah. Less than a person. Yeah. That might exist. And so I, I'm willing to forgive that, but I, I do also recognize that sort of one-dimensionality there. Uh, same thing with the, I, I cannot see school professionals acting the way uh, they act in that meeting. You know, there's there's a way they only want what's best for the boy, Dustin. They the no, I don't no, I I, I don't believe that. You know, I've seen uh, this film apparently. Uh, um, I this is me citing from Wikipedia, so grain of salt. Don't believe it. Big of one, it. exactly. But apparently, this is a film that has like resonated with uh, the communities of uh, parents of uh, children with on the uh, autism spectrum. Oh yeah, which oh. I think makes sense as far yeah. as just like a society that will not like 
help you. Yeah, we will <laughs> we not refuse make, it to help understand your child. We'll make no accommodations whatsoever. Yeah, and, and yeah, that's kind of madness. Yeah, uh, but. That that being said, th- th- is there some truth that at times administrations will sort of put together rules where uh, you can get to a point where we'll put up with who we want to put up with, but who we don't want to put up with, we can put them out. Mm-hmm. And it does kind of have that feel to it. So all of that really works for me. What I love about this movie is I don't know that any of it's real. And it doesn't matter. That's what I love about this movie. This movie sure. is that exact par- exact sort of psychotic um, that this film needs to be, that it is a movie about a psychotic break and that you're going in and out of the objective, subjective sort of point of view yeah. of the various characters. And uh, where you are, when you are, where you are, you never are quite sure. And I kind of love that about it. It is the the the, 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 the sort of chaos of it all um, really, really appeals to me. So I think it works. We already mentioned the German expressionism. You guys know that turns my crank. So... I won't say anything more about that until I say more about it later. Um, but yeah, that's all working for me in crazy ways. So, dear listener, you can you can hear from our banter that our general feelings are pro towards the Babadook. We are fans of this LGBTQ icon. Um, more on that later as well. I think we're going to move on to the part of the show where we do the expanding the syllabus thing, and Arthur's going to tell you what that's all about. Yeah, it's, that's enough crank turning for today. We, we won't be cranking our turns anymore. <laughs> uh, it turns my crank, man. <laughs> Uh, expanding the syllabus is a thought experiment, though, wherein we, the hosts, uh, we're going to assemble uh, possibly an academic course, it may be a module within a course. Heck, uh, it, it could just be based around the assigned viewing for the week. It may be uh, uh, tangentially related films, texts, movies, video essays that Dalton found on uh, the YouTube. Uh, it, he never does a that. A criterion essay in the uh, collection. Uh, who knows what it might be, but it's going to supplement this movie in a way that would make it uh, somewhat viable for academic discourse in a in a college classroom. That's right. Hey, those video essays are well-researched, better researched than some of the things your students turn in. Hey, oh, he's not wrong. Than my students? Oh, yeah, totally. I meant your students. 100%. 100%. 100%. 100%. Easily. Yeah, no yeah. argument. I specifically meant his students because he can't shut up about them. Yeah, they're, yeah. Okay. Um, Dalton, do you have a syllabus ready? <laughs> I do. Uh, I haven't decided if this is a, uh, a a horror movie class with elements of social sciences or social sciences class with a, with a dash of movies. I don't know which this is, but this is a class about the horror of parenthood. Uh, some films that we would look at, of course, The Shining uh, from old, old Stanley. Uh, we'd look at The Others starring Nicole Kidman. Uh, we'd look at The Omen and Rosemary's Baby, of course, Hereditary. Uh, the rec- so I'm, I'm naming films that you probably don't need any rundown on. Uh, if you haven't seen the others, it's a gothic horror movie where a mom is stuck in the English countryside with her, her children and things get spooky. Uh, you've probably seen The Shining if you're listening to a movie podcast, but if you haven't, it's uh, similarly about isolation and uh, parents not dealing with that isolation very well. Um, uh, the, the one film that might need a little bit of a uh, preamble is speak no evil, which is a film from this year that I really like, uh, ruined my week last week. I watched oh, this last man. weekend, absolutely ruined my week just as, as Euro horror often will, uh, just an absolute nail biter of a movie. Um, a, a little context, uh, just so you know, uh, a Danish couple goes on vacation in Tuscany in Italy with their little daughter and they meet a Dutch couple. And they have a lovely time with these weirdos from Holland. They're from Holland. Isn't that weird? Uh, They get a postcard after the vacation in Italy from the Dutch family. 
they live in an apartment, the Danish couple. They live uh, in uh, Denmark in the city, and uh, the Dutch couple lives out in the country. And they say, well, come to our country house. It'll have some laughs, you know? Uh, and, uh, of course the, the, uh, the, the Danish wife is a little suspect. She's like, that's a long time. A weekend's a long time. Some people would barely know. And, uh, they talk about it at dinner with some friends and the, their friends are like, what's the worst that could happen? And the husband's like, I agree. What's the worst that could happen? And then the worst, the worst happens. happens yeah. The worst happens. Cause it's a horror movie. Of mm-hmm. course the worst happens. It reminds me a lot of funny games. It's very much one of those movies where, uh, it's about social niceties getting you into trouble. Uh, it's a movie that I fully don't know if I would be able to watch if I had children. I don't. I, I think the last like twenty minutes of this would just be too fucking harrowing. I really do. I, Dustin, I'm curious if you get around to it. It's on Shutter. I'm. I'm I don't know. <laughs> Speak no evil. If you if you're feeling particularly uh, steeled, if you're you're feeling girded. Go for it. I, I don't know. All of these. Oh, and Good Night, Mommy was another uh, parental horror movie. I haven't seen that one, but I know people love it. Uh, another Euro horror movie. Um, people, I figured you were going to name The Omen. I did say, did I not say The Omen already? Did you say Rosemary's Baby? I said Rosemary, ba- Rosemary's Baby, and I thought I said The Omen. Maybe you didn't. Yeah. I, I missed it with a little, the but yeah, deluge. this 70s, yeah, I know, I kind of threw a lot out there, but there's a lot of horror movies mm-hmm. about parenting. Uh, it's scary, it turns out. We've all been a child. Not everybody's a parent, but everybody's been a child, and everybody's had a parent, and we all have thoughts and opinions about parenting, even if we aren't them ourselves, aren't ones ourselves, and I, I think that that's what's useful in this class. So yeah, we could look at studies about parenting. We'll about how damn expensive it is to be a parent we can look at all of the uh the myriad psychological issues that go into parenting uh both in terms of the psychology of parents and the psychology of children uh, that's why i'm not sure what kind of class this is because you could use these films and real life to talk about the, the horrors of parenting in a lot of different ways uh, but i think all, all what all of these films have in common is using that central theme of the horror of parenthood and of course i haven't mentioned this the, the Babadook, which is, of course, a, one of the films we would be talking about. Uh, but all of these films deal with different anxieties about parenthood, being a good parent, uh, maybe something being wrong with the child, all maybe the children not recognizing you anymore, uh, a fear of losing your child to some sort of evil in the world. Again, all, all sorts of different fears and anxieties expressed in these films, but all are using parenting and, and child as like central metaphors, not just central metaphors, but central like plot points. Uh, and central thematic issues um it's kind of a width and breadth like that was just a few i could have listed a lot more movies uh i I saw i found a couple of lists that were quite effective Mm -hmm. um yeah really interesting stuff i I don't know what you guys are thinking but that was where i ended up with this movie was uh just using it in context with other films about parenting that uh, deal with it in a, a horror context very cool, very cool. And yes, parenting is terrifying. Seems can't, bad. Can't confirm. Can't <clears throat> confirm. Uh, it is an experience. Uh, Arthur, what do you have to say in terms of your syllabus, my friend? Yeah, I think I'm going to continue on my uh, my world horror trek that I started last week when we talked Yay. about British horror. Uh, this week I'm going to talk about Oceania horror. Um, so I'm looking primarily at Australia and uh, New Zealand. I couldn't find anything really, <clears throat> maybe... I was hoping to find like some Polynesian, Hawaiian, yeah, some, some New Guinea horrors, kind of stuff, and yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm primarily in uh, the the land down under, um, and uh, and you know Mordor. Uh, but I'm going to start off. I I, I think in, in the place uh, that would be good to start off, and that is with Peter Ware. Uh, we're going to talk about kind of a twofold thing here. One, I I think this kind of Oceania horror that we're looking at. There's a long history of horror comedy combining, uh, and, and kind of camp horror. And so we start with Peter Ware. We're going to look at the cars that ate Paris. Um, this kind of 
his, his first feature uh, as well. Never heard of this. Um, I so assumed you were going to say Picnic at Hanging Rock. I am. That's that's the second one. <laughs> but uh, Guards at Eight Pairs is awesome. Yeah, that's just yeah. a good title. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it's it's uh, a fun little uh, movie, but kind of combining, again, the comedy horror elements uh, as well, which I think is kind of a, a through line in this area. It's kind of like The Blob, but with cars. Okay. Uh, and then we would do Picnic at Hanging Rock, this very ethereal, what's happening, what's real, what's the mystery, is the mystery solvable kind of uh, dreamscape that he paints here, uh, which is a, a very uh, spellbinding, I think, mesmerizing movie uh, to watch. Uh, we would jump ahead uh, here. I'm just kind of jumping around. Uh, I didn't put these in any specific order. Uh, but we look at the Spirit Brothers when we talk about Daybreakers, uh, which mm-hmm. we've done on the show. Uh, Sam Neill, Ethan Hawke, uh, vampires, uh, doing vampire stuff. Do they do uh, anything in... Uh in Australia, or I think that is before. Is that was that Australian production? Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Uh, they did that, and they did. Uh, I think Predestination is also Australia, but they did several short horror shorts and things like that as well. Uh, so they're you know kind of no slouch to the, the genre. Uh, we'd also look at Kia Roach Turner's uh, Wormwood, which we all talked about on the show a long time ago. This road apocalypse zombie movie um, that's uh, like Mad Max beats Dawn of the Dead. I think is the tagline. Uh, and so uh, they didn't I, I like think... how much academia we tried to put on yeah. their movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> I recall there's a uh, but I think there is a rich history of indie horror yeah. that takes place on on. Uh, this part of the world. So I think uh, it's it's interesting to kind of see that through line of these kind of passion projects brought to life. Uh, we'd also look at Joel Anderson's Lake Mungo, uh, spoopy found footage uh, joint. Uh, uh, it's all kinds of spoopy. Our friend Nick Sanford was j- just talking to me about this movie. Yeah. He just watched and it scared the pants off. Yeah, of it's him. very it's it's very solid. Uh, it, it's real good. Uh, I I think uh, if you're into weird mystery found footage type stuff uh check it out because again uh the question of what's going on is kind of rampant and kind of a through line i think to to picnic at hanging rock but also some stuff in in the babadook as well mm. uh then we jump over to new zealand uh we we go over there uh for a little while uh we'd see our good friends over in uh, new zealand uh, we'd probably start with uh one Peter Jackson. Uh, yeah, baby. No slouch to horror. And we'd kick it off with his original, again, keeping this through line of horror campy comedy, uh, Bad Taste. This kind of sci-fi alien uh, horror film uh, that he has uh, here, which obviously launches a pretty storied career uh, throughout. And we'd maybe talk about Heavenly Creatures as well, which is kind of more of a true crime type of horror, but still horror uh, before he comes to America and obviously does Frighteners. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, looking at his roots here in the late 80s uh, is a great place to start. Uh, we'd also look at Gerard Johnston's Housebound, uh, which is a, another horror comedy about uh, a woman who is, uh, I think, under house arrest, if I remember correctly, uh, and there's something spoopy in the house. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a question of what is it? And it shares DNA with another movie that came out around the same time. Uh, but if I mention that movie, it'll probably spoil uh, this one. So I won't. Um, but Housebound is a lot of fun. Uh, if you've never seen it, I suggest that. It'll uh, spoil Housebound or The Babadook? It, no, no, no. Housebound would spoil a different movie if mm-hmm. I gotcha. told you what it was similar to. Mm. Um, finally, uh, we would end, uh, as all good things do, uh, in what we do in the shadows. Yep. And Taika Waititi and his love letter homage to uh, vampires. Uh, and this, I, I, what I think is a comedy masterpiece mm. of of mockumentary filmmaking, uh, a great lineage there. Damn funny movie. Yeah. Good TV uh, show. Just, yeah. Uh, just homage all over the place. Not only just, you know, the, the, the mockumentary itself, but also every every vampire is lampooned. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. From Nosferatu uh, all the way to 
uh, Gary Oldman and up through uh, Twilight. Uh, it, it is all on on the chopping block for Taika, and, and he makes great use of all of the stereotypes, all the lore, uh, and, and putting these guys together as roommates is it's just brilliant. It's a great comedic bit, uh, and so I think that's where we would end uh, our little tour through Oceana. And, and uh, I, I looked for some kind of Polynesian horror, Hawaiian horror, and I really never found anything. So mm. kind of yeah, disappointing. Kind of Surely surprised. there's some stuff out there. That I'm sure just, there's stuff that hasn't broken set. through. I, I found yeah. a couple of Italian horrors that were set, mm. you know, but I was trying to think of stuff that was produced there, and I, I really didn't find anything. Yeah, I feel like there's got to be some Indonesian horror, right? Yeah, or sure. Thai horror, yeah. yeah so, hmm. uh, got to be. Yeah, there's got to be something out of Thailand. Yeah. So, anyway, a that's ghost uh, story. I think is a Thai oh, yeah. horror film. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So there you go. That's that's what I got for you. Uh, we would just have a good time. Uh, spoopy laughter uh, ensuing. Yeah, picnic at Hanging Rock. That's a little more serious than anything else on this list. Maybe outside of Lake Mungo, which is pretty serious too. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen Lake Mungo? I know of it. I have not seen it. I just recently know that it's not a comedy. Yeah, Yeah. I just recently became aware aware of of it, and then uh, Nick was texting me about it out of the blue. Like I had just seen somebody talking about on TikTok or something. Mm. Uh, Sounds interesting. Sounds really cool. Yeah, Yeah, sounds like the kind of thing I'm in the mood for. Always. Yeah. Hey, what are you, what, what's your syllabus? I'm going to do the biggie on the eye chart. Let's talk about this movie and its relationship to German Expressionism, uh, 1920s silent cinema. Okay. Uh, and well, and before, because I mean, obviously we got the Melies bits uh, there at the front end. And so, you know, we might take a look at those particular films alongside uh, Voyage to the Moon. Uh, at one point when Emil, uh, Amelia is looking at the TV late at night, uh, a couple of Melies films. Mm-hmm. Uh, get screened there, and so and uh, which has uh, sort of insets of hallucinations of the Babadook uh, that are well, are they hallucinations or is he actually appearing on her TV to haunt her? I don't know. Uh, doesn't matter. That's later. Uh, but I, I do enjoy the way in which this Caligari esque film is composed, and so we would begin by watching the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari, in which the set itself is painted. It's not lit for shadows. It's painted in shadows, and uh, which is. Wild, so good, and and it, man, it still holds up. I mean, there are prints of this that are gorgeous. Uh, if you watch that movie on YouTube, you may or may not get a nice print, uh, but there are available to you on services like Canopy or uh, various other kinds of ways in which you might acquire a digital video disc, uh, blue or otherwise raid. And uh, as you watch it, you would be able to see just the the incredible quality that. Um, some of these prints um, and the, the the sharpness of the set design uh, for this movie that is about well a, a person who is suffering from extreme mental illness and trying to sort of wrestle through their nightmare world of their hallucinations, which of course seems like some thematic DNA that is at the heart of the Babadook. Uh, then we would just I, I, a number of readings in the in the world of German expressionism would come in. I'm going to mention one of them in particular here in a minute, but uh, other films to watch. I think we can't not watch F. W. Murnau's um, Nosferatu as sure. well, just again for the same kind of uh, shadowy set design. Unlike uh, there are some times in which the set is painted in order to give those ideas of shadow, but uh, Murnau does a lot more with lighting uh, than uh, Veen does with Caligari. And so for Caligari, or for, excuse me, for Nosferatu, we see quite a bit of his use of, and this, uh, of course, as the additional um, element of motion to those shadows uh, that gives these oblique angles, which again sort of give this heightened sense of emotional 
um, unrest, and that is sort of the whole idea behind German Expressionism. The famous painting of the movement is Edvard Munch's The Scream, which you are probably familiar with, have seen at least lampooned, if not seen the actual uh, image itself, and uh, it is about these sort of heightened extreme mental states. I think in terms of reading, I think we'd read some sections of From uh, Caligari to Hitler um, by uh, Siegfried Krakauer. It is very much on my mind because I very recently um, wrote about it um, over a very, very short amount of time for very, very many pages in a PhD uh, comprehensive exam. But uh, one of the interesting things about his thesis is that it is indicative the, that German Expressionist filmmaking in general general and the cabinet of Dr. Caligari in particular are indicative of things that are going on in the uh, uh, collective psyche mm. of Weimar Germany before uh, the coming of Adolf Hitler, and uh, which gets into sort of chicken and egg category as to what causes what. And I think, honestly, I think his thesis, I think his reading of Caligari as authoritarian and uh, the way in which it sort of uh, gives um, some credence to some fascistic thinking does play out. I think that's an accurate reading of the film. However, I think his application of that to the entire society of German uh, people doesn't make any sense because did everybody see the Babadook? Is the Babadook reflective of the sort of uh, fascistic uh, desires of Australia? No, it's not. Um, nor are most of the horror movies that are coming out of uh, Australia movies that look like the Babadook. And so he's got this sort of a priori assumption it doesn't quite work. But I think looking at those details and the way in which they are reflective of psychological states and the ways in which they can help us understand an experience of a psychology, which is the experience of a, of a parent in this case in the Babadook, is, is really, really useful. And so I use this in a film style. I mean, I'm thinking about a kind of class where I'm teaching like David Boardwell's film art book yeah. or, you know, something like, you know, one of those yeah, standard yeah. kind of uh, courses where it's uh, very much about uh, the various sort of modes of uh, filmmaking throughout the 20th century. But that's the way I would approach it because this movie is in the same way painted and designed um, to an extent to give us those oblique angles, to give that, to give that heightened sense of the off kilter uh, effect of just living in this home, that this home itself is a presence of this sort of off kilterness. And this is also, you know, magnified when the uh, film occasionally resorts to the Dutch angle on top of its already oblique angles, which really cants everything uh, to make the world feel tilted. And so um, I think stylistically, the way in which unease is achieved in this film mm. is very much in line with the, uh, the sort of school of thinking that we see in that German expressionist school, especially in its more psychological or horror modes, uh, less so than my, what you might see in like a Metropolis, but much more so as you might see in Caligari or in um, Nosferatu. So that's the way I would end up approaching that. So there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got a little bit longer. Uh, with that, I think it's now time to get down to business. Yes, business. That's right, you're listening to that business is, as always, analysis. I think this movie means things. Um, we could talk about the things this movie means. And I, I really think that's sort of the main register, right, uh, as we think about this movie. This is, is a big horror is metaphor mm -hmm. film. Do you want to you hear a 
negative review of this film? I would love to hear a negative review of this film. It's about a paragraph long if we've got the time. but I, I, think, I think we do. This is a good place to start. Uh, this is a review from somebody I follow on Letterboxd, uh, a user called Sally Jane Black. Uh, a good follow. I, I like them quite a bit, but they, they're not a big fan of the Babadook. Uh, one and a half stars from them, I believe. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, yes, one and a half stars. Here's the review. I respect if this film resonated with you in terms of how it portrayed depression, PTSD, grief, or other emotions or mental illness, but I just did not want to be given yet another externalized metaphor, especially not one that was wielded in a manner that seemed like an excuse for child abuse. Had there been some visible consequences for her actions, even under the influence of the Babadook, either in regards to her relationship with her son, or with social services, or in any way at all, it would feel less like a shrug saying, "Mm, we hurt others when we're hurt, and more like a... We heard others when we're hurt, but, and that but should be filled with the paths to healing or some sort of deeper understanding or anything other than just live with it. Because even though that's all we have, it feels too much like complacency without that but. And in art, in film, we cannot afford complacency. Um, So, uh, again, a, a review that says the central metaphor of this film is not necessarily flimsy, but it doesn't. It is maybe too on the nose and maybe doesn't do enough with Amelia and Samuel's relationship. Uh, I think that that's interesting. I don't, I don't know where I'm at on that review. I'm still kind of parsing through my feelings on it. It seems like their main concern is more in that Amelia never is reprimanded. Yeah, it's well, right. the movie does. Lack of consequences. There's yeah. a super, there's one reading of this film that's the super mega happy ending, right? If you take the ending of this film at face value, uh, Amelia and Samuel have conquered the Babadook and now it lives in their basement like E.T. Uh, E.T. didn't go home and it just eats the garden worms instead of yeah. Reese's Pieces. Mm-hmm. Now, there's of course a darker read to the ending, which is Amelia has now retreated into her, withdrawn into her own mind because she did kill Samuel. There was no Babadook. She just lost it. And after she killed Fluffy, whatever the dog's name was. Mm, Bugsy. Uh, yeah. Bugsy, thank you. After she killed Bugsy, she also killed Samuel. And this is, you know, her her hallucination uh, that she's now living with. Oh, my. Yeah. A much darker read to the film, <laughs> but one that is, you know, I don't think necessarily invalid. I, I guess I read the film as though they got into therapy and that there's continued sort of intervention from child services. Though, uh, again, Amelia is still a fractured and a wounded person Mm -hmm. that she is able to sort of have her grief and deal with her grief. And, you know, there's a, there's a moment where they, when when she goes down and feeds it, the, the Baba Duck and she says, you know, he was quiet today. Mm -hmm. It's that she's, she's carved out the time for self care alongside of allowing a a social circle to be involved in the life of Samuel. The, one of the first things that we see is he's over there with Mrs. Roach, Mm -hmm. right? From the neighbor from next door. And so it seems to me that the metaphor is that she has availed herself to those resources and is doing the doing the work that needs to be done. But we're leaving it within the sort of trappings of the world of this horror fantasy um, kind of telling. And I'm I'm fine with that because I it seems to me that there's enough on the, the, the skin of those edges there that sort of shows us that she is the real life. Amelia is meeting regularly with social services and yeah. uh, able to interact with other people and have Samuel sort of overshare and just like, well, that's what he does and he's not wrong and sort of be okay with that without the social embarrassment and, and again, uh, availing herself to the neighbor and uh, then take go. Sometimes I got to go down to the basement yep. and, and, feed feel the my, and feed the Babadook and uh, some days it's a bad day and some days it's not a good, you know, it's, it's a better day. And 
which is kind of how grief works. Sure. And so I I don't know that that review is being entirely fair there. Yeah, I, I I'm mostly of the the opinion that the film's like central metaphor works, but I, I do think it's fair to say this film does feature an apparent like actively abusing their child. Sure. Yeah. And, and to to say that I'm not okay with that, I, I think is fine. I mean, the, yeah. bl- the black phone from this year also has got some pretty intense depictions of child abuse. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, this is uh, The Shining, obviously, kind of the granddaddy of child abuse horror films. This is well-trod horror territory. It's mm-hmm. not like the Babadook is paving new ground here. Right. So I, I can definitely see, like, just not wanting it, just not being about it. Mm-hmm. I think that's totally fair. And I, I think it's fair to think um, Amelia gets off a little too easy, especially if you don't, like, violence against animals in movies well yeah. you're probably not gonna be happy with the fact that amelia just like spits up the babadook and it's all okay yeah mm-hmm. so I, I i know i think that there's fair criticisms here i just i i, I saw that and i was kind of surprised it was i was also interested how many people aren't as in love with this movie as i am this mm-hmm. is a, this is a full four and a half damn close to five star movie for me and a lot of people who are, you know, kind of more three and three and a half star uh, mm. takes on this, uh, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I think on my initial watch, I wasn't as sold on it. Yeah. I mean, but God, that was years ago. Ten years ago almost, know. yeah. Um, Trying to remember. I was going to see what the curve was on Letterboxd. I'd be curious. I'm curious what the curve is. Yeah. I'm going to that up. I do think that... Where'd it go? Um, I mean... It's got, uh, it, it's four star. I mean, it's I mean sitting heavy at a three to four star, mm-hmm. and then drops heavily after that. There mm-hmm. you go, both I mean, sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so a pretty I mean, standard bell curve on it. Yeah, I mean, it's got a three point four average. I guess I should just look at that number. Um, oh, okay, but and I think that's probably. I mean, that's still pretty generally well received. So sure, seventy five percent, eighty percent. Horror like comedy is super subjective. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's some you either find things a thing scary or you don't. Yeah, uh, that's that is sort of the nature of the genre. I th- I, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, I think a lot of the the second half of this movie and kind of you know the, the where things start to go off the rails, the things I alluded to. I mean, when she's watching that newscast, mm-hmm. that that whole sequence, I think is you know, is it you know the Babadook, you know, presenting the future to her, or you know what is you know mm-hmm. is this you know. Is she running it through her head of what could happen? How would this play out? Mm-hmm. Right. But that moment where she's watching the screen and it, it zooms in on that window and she's behind the curtain. I mean, that is so effective. Dude, for real. It's so good. I just thought she was considering a murder-suicide. Yeah. And she's considering doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the way, the, I think the way Jennifer Kent realizes the subconscious or the unconscious through these moments um, you know, her staring through the the window and seeing the Babadook behind the neighbor. You know, those I was just moments, thinking about that sequence. You know, those, yeah, I, I think that when uh, Kent really does begin to kind of play more into the supernatural of it, it, it really does uh, become more effective. And I I don't remember what it was about my first watch, and it may have been a hype thing, right? I mean, because as you mentioned, this movie was hyped. It was when it came out. I mean, this was like the horror movie. Yeah, of of that kind of period of 2014 i mean mm-hmm. and and that was really before kind of the the second wave of the lgbtq stuff with um the babadook you know, yeah as, babadook as, is meme was yeah, yeah, a yeah, few yeah. years later yeah i mean yeah. that but that initial i mean it was you've got to see the the babadook it mm-hmm. is the best horror movie of the decade kind of talk yeah. yeah and that you know those sorts of conversations also can impact the way we respond to movies you know i watch it i'm like this this is the best movie of 
you know, the best horror movie, right? Yeah. And you know, we kind of talked about criticism in regards to some of this when we talked about Candyman, right? Mm. The way critics and people talk up movies and the way they kind of guide those conversations. And when we do use that sort of emphatic com- uh, language of this is the best thing ever, you know, this is one of the greatest movies of all time. And, it, you know, setting those expectations is dangerous because that's when people bounce off. If it's got a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes and I don't like it, you know, mm. what does that say? You know, and I mean, that's well, a bigger kind of cultural divide. It, at that point. It's absolutely a cultural divide. I think that's a great way to put and it because this conversation about audiences v. critics or fans versus yeah. critics has become such a, a hot button topic in our, our movie going culture. I think it's really interesting. I was listening to Smartless uh, a couple of days ago and they were talking to Ewan McGregor. Ah. And they're talking about the prequels, right? Mm-hmm. And, and like the the critic's voice in 2001 was so, or 99, 2001, 2003, was so much louder pre-social media. In a post-social media world, the you know word of mouth of the casual audience is much stronger. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, cinema scores and word of mouth play a kind of a bigger factor now than than just the critic score. And Studios love to see their movie trending on Twitter. Yeah, and and not only, you know, on Rotten Tomatoes, not only is there a, you know, the, the critic score, there's now the audience score, yep. which is, you know, now you can choose which one do I market with. Yep. Oh, the crit, the audience is 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. Let's run with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so I think there's been a really interesting way, but, you know, kind of getting back to your point, the, the, the subjectivity of what is a good horror movie when people don't like, you know, there are movies I love and like, or, you know, pray. We we both really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Dustin's mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's okay. You know, and that's yeah, you know, that's I've fine. Up on it some sense. You don't yeah. have to say face. It's okay. <laughs> but I mean, there's that moment. You know, it's like sure. Yeah, I think there's also the thing of when I love this thing, I want everybody else to love it too because it's you know it's so good, and then they bounce off of it for whatever yeah. reason. This is something that I find really effective at Letterbox. Uh, effective about Letterbox, and I'm, I'm just kind of glad we've structured this conversation around it because I think it is. There's been a lot of contenders to the movie social media uh, throne, and I think Letterboxd has obviously sort of been the champion of that that fight, that that race between IMDb and you know a handful of other websites. But I, I find it so effective to look at because it kind of helps me dial in my star rating. Because uh, you know me, I'm I'm into liking stuff. I, mm-hmm. I like I like being a fan of things. I like I am on the side of movies being good. Usually, I want. Well, them to I work. tend to watch things I'm gonna like. Same, you yeah. know. So my ratings are all pretty skewed high because I. You know, if I know I'm not going to like it, I'm probably not going to watch it. Well, yeah, I think I'm also. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just saying, you know, long, long time ago when we first started using Letterboxd, we talked often about I can like a movie, I can heart a movie mm-hmm. and still give it two stars. Oh, yeah. I, right can, I can like that movie, even though I recognize it's kind of bad. Yeah, it's trashy. I give a lot of hearts to two star movies. Yeah. That two and a half star, I think, is a fun. I think I give, I give hearts to a lot of movies. Yeah. To your point, it's like, mm-hmm. I, I I didn't have a bad time with this, so I'll heart it. I give a heart to most Two stars, five stars. Yeah. I don't care. I've got some five. Or I've got, I've got four some four stars that don't have hearts. Yeah. Same. Mm-hmm. The Nightingale. Uh, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Not a favorite. I don't like that yeah. movie. <laughs> it's a very well-made and very effective film that I don't like very much because it's hard. It's hard to watch, yep. and I don't know what the utility of it is. And that's, I guess, what to circle us back to the Babadook, I think that's what is the utility of an extreme depiction of child abuse for the explicit purpose of terrorizing an audience like what is the utility does this further us as a society and, and you know to to are the central critic that we're kind of, we've kind of built this this is just a user on letterbox but you know we're, we've kind of built part of our conversation around their critique so i think it's useful to to take 
what they said seriously is we don't have room for complacency yeah. in film, especially with extreme subject matter. Well, and I want to come back to sort of part of that the comment of that um, user there, the idea of justice. Yeah, the idea of sort of justice needs to be wrought, which is kind of one of the preoccupations of the classic horror cycles, mm. right? And going all the way back to censorship days, yeah. you know, where the monsters all have to die and all yeah. criminals have to be punished yeah. and, you know, that kind of thing. And even now, you know, even the movies that have the sort of heroic uh, villain, your Freddies or your Jasons or your Michaels, they sort of function in this way of God's divine justice wreaked upon sinners, you know, kind of stuff. And um, that there, 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 there sometimes is a sort of horror expectation that bad people will be punished, which is hardly ever what happens. Yeah. And uh, that, I mean, if you're a bad person long enough, I, I, you know, most of the time, or oftentimes, I guess, I wouldn't even say most of the time, I'm not going to average or generalize that, but oftentimes that will get found out. Mm. If you are a person who has a bad slide and you, you scare, you know, you, you sort of scare. Uh, weave off to the edge of child abuse and you know a, a really really dark place psychologically you can recover from that and move away from it and not no harm no foul but no consequences that is I that is also that. accurate to life and for the child that is part of that dynamic that child might not ever get an apology mm-hmm. you might not get that that person might turn around on their behavior but never fully cop to it. Right. Right. And I, I guess... To, and that's real life. Yeah, that is real life. And not to make light of real horrific abuse, but you, there's the argument to be made that probably all children experience in a moment experience moments of abusive behavior from their parents. Of course. I, I agree with that. Whether it into a fully, you know, abusive household is a different question. Mm-hmm. But I think all children probably have experience of abusive moments right where the where the where the words are too charged where the yeah. where the corporal punishment if you're so is hungry go eat shit yeah 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 yeah, it, it, yeah. Th- those kind of things catching abs- catch a hand yeah, yeah for sure i mean that i think that is accurate in real life and uh that even a person might again experience a season of that kind of bad behavior mm-hmm. uh and then you know repent it or however whatever language you want to use mm-hmm. get a moment of clarity get some therapy mm-hmm. whatever they do get their act together they do get their act together and there are no consequences and there is no challenge for that uh, also very very true and uh this is the world we live in I well, guess. samuel's reaction is true to life right mm-hmm. that's the loyalty to your parent is pretty intrinsic i yeah. mean it's what makes abusive dynamics so hard for sure. people who come from abusive households. Well, I just think about, you know, my own raising, you know, there are, there are events that took place that are super not awesome. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've been beating around the bush about my own shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, and, uh, but I don't remember my parents for just that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so I'm like, Oh, that sucked. And they sucked for doing it, but you know, they didn't always suck. Yeah. And I, I, I would hope that, um, as Amelia moves forward in sort of the uh, happy, super mega future <laughs> of this movie mm-hmm. that Samuel will remember. Yeah. Right after Dad died, you know, not right after Dad died, but a few years after Dad died, Mom had a, Mom had a breakdown. Yeah, my seventh birthday was sort of a weird year. <laughs> yeah, it was a really weird year, and Mom really was having a hard time. And I kind of know and don't really know, and I don't yeah. get why she was so mad when I crawled in bed with her that day. I don't know what she was up to, <laughs> but um, it was a thing, and we're better now. You know, um, I hope that's the the future for him. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, this is sort of all about mothers in film a little mm-hmm. bit, right? Amelia is kind of a, a a real, like, shining example of a mother in film. This is very much a movie about motherhood. But she's not Mrs. Bates. No. She's you know? not evil. Right. Yeah. 
and she's not Jack Torrance. Right. You know, she doesn't fully go there, which I think is, you know, I mean, that's another reason this, this film does feel, um, I wouldn't go as far as to say derivative, but at the very least, it's not doing anything new. Right. As far as you depicting these these sort of isolated uh, relationships and how that can lead to a, a poisonous dynamic. I was watching a video essay earlier about this, and I think it was you know making the argument that we've seen these characters before. Mm-hmm. Um, Samuel and Amelia, basically. Yeah. Well, you know the the it was about mothers and horror films, mm-hmm. and, and the idea that. Um, I think it, it's kind of thesis is that yes, we've had kind of villainous maternal figures. We've had frightened maternal figures, but there's a way in which Amelia is a much more robust kind of character. She gets to be both. She yeah. gets to be a frightened mother yeah. and a scary mother. Yeah, it's the thing you you I think I think it was you spoke to earlier is I, I think it's just that the real world component of her that she is a human and, mm. and she does have moments where she is good and she's doing her best and she's trying her best. And there's moments where she's fed up. Yeah. And yelling and slapping her son, you know? And so in, in that kind of realist vein, it allows her to become much more uh, robust and lived in than say a Jack Torrance who, once he starts down the rabbit trail, he's, he's Jack. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. I think there's something. There's also just kind of interesting stuff about families in general in here, both like the Amelia Samuel dynamic, but also the Amelia Claire dynamic. Yeah. yeah, which we don't get a ton of, but yeah, Claire is just not a great sister. Yeah, I mean she's got can, her own stuff she's dealing with. Yeah, and you kind of alluded to that, but you know yeah. it's, it's also the idea of she's seen this behavior for six years, and I think for you know speaking from you know, kind of personal experience, uh, kind of secondhand is you know when you see a family member subjected to something or subjecting somebody to something for that extended period of time and they're not making the change or you're not seeing them making the change you know there's that kind of selfish i i don't know what you want anymore Mm -hmm. i i can't i can't do it i've i've tried to help you know we don't get to see those moments with her right and i think that does lead to that one dimensional Mm -hmm. she's just conflict for conflict's sake well that and i think there's a, a sort of look when you see it when you see a parent and child in public it is not the same as when they're at home right yeah and and, and the assumption is if you allow this this way in public this is what you're always allowing mm-hmm. and that may not be the case yeah. you know uh, that indeed we you know we don't let a kid throw a fit and a kid will throw a fit at some point and people are like i can't believe you're letting it but we're trying to uh, social niceties, the way social niceties dominate the way in which we sort of want to behave in public. And that I think that last scene with the uh, uh, child services uh, people, when uh, he says, you know, my my dad died the day I was born, and uh, to explain what's going on here with this whole situation. And they're like, oh. And Amelia's face is not horrified. Samuel Stoppage like, yeah. Speaks his mind just like his dad. You know, and, and, and yeah. just that this is... It's the thing that happens, you know, he says this kind of stuff, and yeah, we're going to talk about social appropriateness later or whatever, but she just refuses to be embarrassed, you know, and to be shamed. And Which is a great moment, you know. I, I as, like that, yeah. Yeah, especially because there is the moment earlier in the film where she is embarrassed, mm-hmm. the, the exact same interaction happens. Right. Uh, it, you know, you talked a little bit about social services and stuff, not social services specifically, but um, societal structures last week when we talked about 28 Days mm-hmm. Later. 
uh, we get a little bit of that here, right? Like the doctor is only so helpful. The schools aren't really helpful. The social, police are not. The police great. are extremely not helpful. Uh, social services only kind of ratchets the tension up mm-hmm. and makes things a little bit more stressful, even though they mean well. Sure. It, it, it is constantly Amelia like hitting a brick wall as far as trying to turn to societal structures for help. Mm-hmm. It is. It does become very much a story about having to look inward for solutions. Right. Which I think is, is interesting and kind of uh, helps with that central grief metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's, there are resources available to you, but they might not always be the most helpful resources. It's Well, it's a both and. It's like, you've got to do yeah. the self-work and have the help. And that's yeah. sort of what she ends up finally doing is that mm-hmm. when we have Mrs. Roach and we have, uh, you know, her going into the yeah. basement herself, mm-hmm. right? It's doing both of those things, social services alongside, um, you know, just spending time with Samuel. Right, yeah. and it's got to, you got to do all it that It takes stuff. a village. It does, yeah. And maybe, you know, a, a jetpack-mounted catapult, or a backpack-mounted catapult. Which is a very fun device. Man, yeah. it's just a cool device. I love just, it. Just a child obsessed with making weapons. That's, yeah. Normal kid stuff. It is more, It is very normal kid stuff, although a lot of what his behavior is is, of course, not normal kid stuff, but, yeah. I don't know, I was a very frightful child. I was, I was worried about monsters quite a great deal. Mm. No, I was just thinking about the screaming in the car and oh, all the yeah, time. Maybe, that, maybe a bit much. Yeah. Well, okay. Are, are we at a point where we can render a verdict on the Babadook? Uh, yeah, as I say, we probably said enough about German expressionism already during yeah. your piece, so I don't, I don't think I have I don't want to talk about the Germans anymore. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm done I'm with done that. talking about the Germans. All right. Um, moving on. <laughs> Shove or trash, Dalton, go. This is a very shovelable film. As I said, this movie scares the pants off me. Uh, it's available on Shutter right now, which is a great acquisition for them. Uh, but you know, if you don't want to have that streaming service, this it's is on a film. Canopy. It's oh, it's also on Canopy. I think so. Okay, uh, this is definitely a film worth owning. I think. Mm-hmm. I think it is one of the best horror films of the decade that it came out. And the 2010s are a decade of great horror movies, mm-hmm. like truly. Uh, and I think it is one of the stronger ones. Um, yeah, I, I think there's plenty of fair criticism to be had of this movie but for me it works like gangbusters and it, it only raises in my estimation the the longer it's been out very good very good what do you say arthur i agree wholeheartedly i think so yeah shelf it yeah kids are terrifying um but <laughs> but it gets better you know if you you know you got to do the work though and so i that all works for me so i like it very very much so i'm also shelving the babadook duck duck um, with that, I think you can tell us what you think. We might have totally missed the boat or didn't talk about what you wanted us to talk about. And you can say that via social media. And Dalton's going to tell you how. That's right. If you want to tell us about your childhood trauma, you can email us at goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. The Good Trash Genre Cast Counseling Couch. That's right. Uh, we are not licensed to do anything nope. for you nope. and uh, are not experts in anything. Nope. But, you know, we got an email account you can send shit to. <laughs> Uh, it's good trash genre cast at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on social media, it's good trash media on Twitter. That's at good trash media on Twitter. Uh, links to this show, other shows that we like or are in the orbit of, uh, film articles that we find interesting, all kinds of fun stuff like that. That's at Good Trash Media on Twitter. Uh, you can also help support the show financially if that's something you're into. Go to patreon.com forward slash GTM for more information on that. Do you want us to talk about a horror movie outside of the month of October? That's the place to do it. Go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. You throw us some shekels. You can make us watch a horror movie in January. Anytime. Yeah, we'll do it. Well, probably not January. We usually have a marathon going on in yeah. January. But another part of the year, besides October, besides you can make us watch something full of blood and guts and scares. Uh, that's how to do that. Arthur, we've, we're closing the book, right? We are. 
It's the, time to move on from the the Book of Shocks. Time to put it away. Yes. Back on the shelf. We'll just go back into a normal routine, burning the book forever, chopping it up, ripping the pages, and hoping it never shows its head again. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to show back up on the front step with uh, scarier pages we're added. We're going to just do the Duck every if week for the next six weeks. <laughs> yeah. If plot device has taught me anything, it will show back up. Maybe in a year from now. Who knows what will happen next week, though. Uh, we, you, you know, we've got something a bit uh, tangentially related uh, to the Babadook. We're okay. going to look about another story of a young child and the bizarre stranger he meets. But this time, it's going to be animated when we take a look at the Iron Giant. Let's oh, all go! Right. I am there for that. All yeah, right. baby. I don't want to be a gun. Hmm, so good. All right, Iron Giant, next time. Thank you very much. Uh, you keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time.